a great song. Maybe as he was playing that, you were singing some of the words in your head. Uh, I love the words in that song. Uh, the truth that when we survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, all the vain things that charm us most, we then sacrifice them to his blood. Uh, we, don't, we don't care as much about the stuff that just seems to charm us uh, and, and woo us and distract us. What I hope right now is that we would be able to put away anything that is distracting and instead uh, open up God's word and hear from him this morning as we read God's word. Uh, I, uh, we're, we're going through this series, uh, five-week series on prayer, and then we're going to get back into our series over the Gospel of Mark, and we'll finish that up on Easter. We'll start now in chapter 14 in about four weeks. But we do want to just pause at the beginning of this new year and be talking more about prayer. I want to see that happen more in my life this year. I want to, to more regularly, frequently, and passionately engage with God in prayer, that I might see Him at work in and around me, but I hope that's what we want as a church too, that we have a greater longing for God, that we want to see Him at work so we pray, and that we want to, we want to just enjoy time in His presence. And so that's what we're doing as we look at this series. And so today we're, we're looking at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to get there in a moment, but to kind of introduce that, I guess, this morning, thinking about... Uh, a great season that's upon us right now is that is the basketball season. I think this is the second best season in all of sports. The baseball season would be first, and that one's long. And the basketball season is probably my second favorite kind of season. I did play basketball a little bit, so I put a little picture of me, uh, and, and, and I made it little so that you could see uh, how little my arms are in a tank top. Uh, but I played basketball, and there are a lot of things about the game of basketball that as you progress become complicated. The game is not easy. And so there are things like trying to maybe drain a three-pointer from the corner as you're fading away with somebody's hand in your face. That can be a challenging thing to do. Learning how to draw a charge can be like a challenging thing to do. If you're not super tall like me, trying to drive into the lane and put down a layup with somebody who's standing there a foot taller than you with hands the size of a tennis racket, that can be challenging as well. So there's a lot of things about basketball that are challenging and complicated. But there's one thing in basketball that would seem to be something that's not challenging and not complicated, and that is the free throw, right? I mean, compared to all of those other things, when you're shooting a free throw, you're standing directly in front of the hoop, which is 15 feet away from you, holding a ball that's only half the diameter of the hoop itself. No opponents are standing in your face. The clock isn't running. You should be able to put the ball in the hoop on a regular basis. Um, now, I was kind of an expert at this. I shot uh, my sophomore year of high school. I shot 100% uh, in games at free th- uh, four for four. Uh, <laughs> did really well. I didn't get to play much, so I didn't get to shoot many free throws. Um, but, but free throws seem like they'd be pretty easy. But the thing is, it doesn't matter what level you're at, whether you are a jittery second grader just trying hard not to double dribble all the time, or you're somebody who's been playing in the NBA for a number of years, You work on free throws. Because as simple as they are, 
there still is this, this sense in which as we work on just the basic elements of a free throw, of just that time of preparation, of focus, uh, and a lot of people have kind of the same thing that they do every time, and then, and then you're taking some time to look at the hoop, and then, then you're working on your extension and your follow-through and everything. It doesn't matter what level you're at, even the simple act of shooting a free throw, it's very helpful to work on those basic elements over and over again. And so it is for prayer. Because there's a lot of things in the Christian life that can seem kind of complicated. You might open your Bible and get to a spot in the Old Testament where you're reading some apocalyptic literature and you're trying to correctly, with good hermeneutics, interpret what it is that God is. That can be complicated. You might have, you might have a, a, as a young Christian, a college professor who is very winsome and very intelligent, more intelligent than you are, and they also are an atheist, and they're trying to convince you that one thing is true, where you're pretty sure that's not true, but you don't know how to... And there's a lot of things that can be complicated as you try to live life as a Christian. But one thing that seems kind of more like a free throw, kind of more like something, well, this shouldn't be all that complicated, is prayer. Right? I mean, it, it seems like, well, I mean, I get how a lot of things are complicated, but prayer, that's just simply talking to God. How hard can that be? But I think, just like free throws, that sometimes they're, they're harder than it would seem that it would be. And I think, just like free throws, whether you are a 70-year-old prayer warrior who has been spending hours in your lifetime praying, or you're a new Christian who really hasn't prayed much at all in your life, or maybe you're somebody who's been a Christian for a long time, but you've always just struggled with prayer. I think whatever category you fit in, I think it can be helpful to go back and look at the basic elements of what prayer is all about and spend some time working on being instructed in and reminded of the basics of prayer. And so that's what we're going to do today. I'm so grateful that in God's Word, By God's grace, we have some instruction on both how to pray and what to pray. There's so much that can be read about prayer. Maybe you've got kind of this resolution, like, I want to get better at prayer. You can read lots of books about prayer. I listed in your outline today what I think are the 67th and 68th best books in my mind that have helped me the most in understanding and praying. Uh, The first 66, of course, are the 66 books of the Bible. If you want to know more about praying, start there. But number 67 and 68, in my mind, I listed there in case you want to read more. There's so many things that we can read about this thing that seems so simple. But here in the book of Matthew, towards the beginning of the book, we have this section known as the Sermon on the Mount. And right in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount, a, a, a long sermon that Jesus was preaching to his disciples, we have Jesus' instruction on how and what to pray. We often refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. And here's what I'm hoping today. I'm thinking that when we pray, we should follow the instruction that Jesus gave his disciples in a model prayer. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you're able to, would you please stand as we open up God's Word to Matthew chapter 6. And I'm only going to be preaching on verses 9 through 13, but just so we have a little context, I'm going to read starting in verse 5 down through verse 15. This is God's Word. Jesus is preaching to his disciples, and he says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You can be seated. We're just going to go through this uh, as we usually do when we get to the sermon. We're going through verse by verse. We're going to start in verse 9 and go on through verse 13 today. And so in your bulletin, there is an outline that maybe you could take notes in that also gives you uh, your life group discussion guide for this coming week. If your life group doesn't start this week, or if you're not in a life group, I encourage you to still use that as we seek to not just hear God's word, but apply it to our lives. And so here we have from Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, as part of the Sermon on the Mount, which, which, by the way, if you're looking for something, man, just this afternoon, I just want to be in God's Word for a while, just read the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Our middle school students studied it. They took a whole year last year in youth group to study the Sermon on the Mount. Um, the women, uh, by the way, uh, women, if you are available during the day, every other Tuesday... Started, it was supposed to start last week, but again, because of weather, it's not starting until the 20th. But the Clay Bible study this year, uh, th- this semester, is going to be studying the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so great, great area in Scripture to read, especially if you're new to Scripture. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 are the Sermon on the Mount. And here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives some instruction on how to pray. He says in verse 9, first this, pray then like this. And that's what he says. He says, pray then like this. He's not saying, pray exactly these words. He's not saying, repeat after me, right? He's saying, pray then like this. This is a a model, like a free throw. Everybody's going to have a different way of doing it. It has the same aim in the end, but everybody's going to have a different way of doing it. But he's saying, here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a model. I like to look at the Lord's Prayer, this section of Scripture, what Jesus, he's saying, pray then like this. I kind of see this as like a bare bones outline of how and what we ought to be praying for. That this would fuel our prayer. And so that's how we're going to look at it today. So it's easy though, um, isn't it? As we pray, as we think about our time that we spend in prayer, Jesus right here saying, pray then like this. It's easy to disregard this. Um, and especially in, in more evangelical churches, in, in more mainline liturgical churches, often they will, they will recite the, these exact words together um, every time that they meet on a Sunday. We don't do that, and there's almost this kind of reaction against that. And so we've kind of walked away from even, even knowing the Lord's Prayer, which is unfortunate. It's right here in Scripture. We ought to know it and even let it, 
Let it guide us in our prayer. Of all the places in Scripture that, that say things about prayer, this seems the most clear instruction in all of Scripture on how we ought to pray. Jesus says himself, pray then like this. And so he gives us a model. And, and notice, that one thing you'll notice as we get into it, that often as you're thinking about maybe the ways that you pray, that when we pray, often we come with things that we're worried about, things that we're concerned about, and we rush right into those things immediately in our time of prayer. That we maybe address God initially, but then the rest of the prayer is pretty much about us and what we want, right? Uh, and that's, that's so easy, but you're going to notice as we go through this model that it might, it might push you in a different direction than you normally go in your prayer life. And I think it's good to let Scripture push us in a different direction than we might naturally go. And so I think that might happen this morning as we look at this passage. So he says, pray then like this. And he begins by addressing God. I think, I think we need to recognize um, that when we're praying, and I, we were just talking with our kids about this, um, that when we pray, praying, maybe, maybe you do it before every meal, maybe you do it before bedtime, maybe you have another time of prayer during the day. We do it so many times that we sometimes in prayer, I think, this seems so basic, but we forget who we're talking to, right? That, that, that a basic communication principle is that, that we talk differently depending upon who we're talking to, right? So, so if I'm coming in here on a Sunday morning and there's a toddler walking around and their parent just gave them a donut, I might say to them, I might see them eating that donut and say, oh, you got a donut today? Oh, and maybe I'll get down on their level and I say, look, oh, you got one with sprinkles on it? I really like sprinkles. Oh, you got a sprinkle on your cheek right there. Let me get that for you, right? Like, and that would be totally appropriate in talking to a toddler. Now, if I come up to Ron Allen on a Sunday morning and I start talking to him like that, I don't know what his reaction would be, but it wouldn't be very appropriate, right, for me to talk to Ron and, oh, Ron, you like sprinkles, right? Like, I'm not going to do that. We that's just a basic communication principle. We talk differently depending upon who it is that we're talking to. And the first thing that we see as we look at prayer is we need to remember prayer is, very basically, talking to God. Talking to God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The God who is, as we just talked about in our Free Church 101 class, who is infinitely perfect and holy and has limitless knowledge. That's who we're talking to. So don't come into prayer flippantly because we are talking to God himself. We have, Jesus has earned for us a presence in God, uh, the ability to be in the presence of God Almighty, right? So we need to know who we're talking to. And so prayer begins with an address. And the address specifically that Jesus uses in this model is our Father. He says, our Father. How is it that, that we, you know, if you're looking at prayer in the Old Testament, prayer in the Old Testament, they didn't address God as Father because they had this understanding of God as a holy and righteous God, totally apart from them. They knew that they were sinners and they had the right to be in his presence. But what did we talk about last week? How is it that we can approach God and not just approach God as the God Almighty, but we can approach him as God our Father? That's how we can talk to our God because of what Jesus has done. So before we even go on any further, I want to be sure that you know that, that this prayer of saying, Our Father, that's a prayer that Christians pray. That's a prayer for people who have turned their life over to God by, by trusting in Jesus, repenting of their sins and trusting in Jesus. 
they are the ones who are then adopted by God, who can then address God as Father, right? So, so have you done that? That's a good question to, to, to think about. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If you have, then you can come before God as Father because you've been adopted as one of His, right? In John 1, 12, it says, everyone who believed Him, everyone who received Him, He gave the right to become children of God. We become His children through faith in Christ by His grace. So we can address God as Father, right? So our Father... When, we're talk, when, when we begin to pray, think about what you're saying. That, that you are talking to the God who redeemed you, who bought you out of slavery, who took you when you were an orphan, an enemy of God, and He made you right in Christ through your faith in Him. And so that's who we're talking to. We say, God, our Father. But He says our Father in heaven, right? So, so we use the word Father maybe in another context, but maybe you had a great dad here on earth. Maybe you had an absent dad here on earth. Maybe you had even an abusive dad here on earth. And that's not the dad that we're talking to. We're talking to our Father in heaven. He is altogether different than the Father, whatever kind of father experience you had growing up. So we say our Father in heaven. Uh, When I prayed earlier, I think what I said, I said heavenly Father. That's often the way I start out my prayer. Same, Same kind of idea, right? Our Father in heaven. And then the next thing is we have the first request in the prayer. Notice the first request in the prayer. It is this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. What what does that mean? It's a request, and it's a request that God's name would be hallowed. That That is, God's name would be lifted up high and honored above everything else. And it's a recognition. As we come before God in prayer, we need to recognize that, that, that in the world that we live in, God's name is not hallowed. That's why this is a prayer request, right? We, we live in a world where God's name is used so flippantly, right? It's used in, often used in vain. And so we, we recognize that, and that ought to break our hearts, that as we come before God, we're recognizing Him for who He is, our Father in heaven. And our desire is that His name would be hallowed. That His name, which in our culture and maybe even in our own minds, is often defamed, we want to see His name made famous and lifted up high and holy. We want to see His name honored. His name represents all of who He is, right? We want to see Him honored. And so that's the first request that we see in the Lord's Prayer, that we come before God and we say, God, I want, above everything else, here's what I want. I want your name to be hallowed. I want to see you glorified and honored. We should start prayer there. Very practically, what does this look like? Uh, I read this testimony of a lady who uh, her pastor was preaching on, on the Lord's Prayer and got to this phrase and, and taught, you know what, as you start to pray, you should, rather than going immediately to whatever needs you have, you should spend some time hallowing God's name, honoring His name, praising Him for who He is. Start there. And, and this lady did a crazy thing. She heard God's Word preached, and she actually worked on applying it. She went and, and prayed in this way uh, for a few weeks, and then she wrote to her pastor, and she said this, Before... I would run right to my prayer list. And the more I went through all the problems and needs, 
the more anxious and burdened I would get. You ever experienced that? Like you come before God in prayer and it actually seems like everything just gets worse because you're just listing all this stuff that's horrible in your life that you want to see changed. But she says, now I've started spending time thinking about how good and wise he is and how many prayers he's answered of mine in the past. And then when I get to my own needs, now I find I can put them in his hands and I feel the burden coming off of me rather than on me. I think it's good that as we start our prayer, we start our prayer addressing God and then, and then making sure that we spend some time just praising Him for who He is. The next request, two requests really, come in verse 10. And that is this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So before, still, we haven't even gotten to any of the personal requests yet, right? It's just coming before God, worshiping Him for who He is, and then saying, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? That's our desire. That's kind of the, the, the request that all of the other requests get filtered through. Right? That's how I see this one. It's the request that all the other requests get filtered through. So, so we want above anything else, whatever I'm coming to God with today, what I want above everything else is I want to see his kingdom come. Uh, we just sang the song, that with one desire we come that you would reign. That's what it means for, for God to be king, is that he reigns and he rules. And, and we want to see increasingly more and more people submit themselves to the reign and rule of King Jesus. We want to see his kingdom come. We want to see His will be done. We want to see Him do what He wants to do. But one thing that prayer does, we're going to see this as we look at the rest of these requests. Prayer forces us to do some self-examination. right? Prayer, when we spend time in the presence of God Almighty, we end up doing some heart examination. And what this does, when we, like, if we're praying, if we're using this as a model for our prayer, are we really saying that? Before we even get to our own requests, do we really want to say, God, above everything else, I want your kingdom to come, and I want your will to be done? Is that the way that we approach God? Do we really want that? Quick quote from a a short little book, which is really good, by Phil Riken called Kingdom Come. Here's what he says. We say that we are for Christ and for his kingdom, yet... Often we are tempted to seek an alternative dominion. The reason for this is simple. We would rather rule our own lives than submit to the sovereignty of God. To accept Christ as king is to acknowledge his authority over every aspect of our lives. That's what a king is, someone who rules. So if Christ is king, then he has the right to rule over everything we are and have. Over our career plans, our wardrobe our cell phone usage, our free time, our friend group, there is not one place in life where we can say, this is for me, God, not for you. So as we consider the kingship of Christ, the issue for us is not so much when his kingdom will come, but whether we want it to come at all. It forces us to do some self-examination. When we pray in this way, do we really want God's kingdom to come? And this might be where we just stop and say, God, I say this, I say I want your kingdom to come, but there are areas of my life that I'm just not giving to you that I really still want to rule over. Help me with that, God. So you might even end up doing some confession at this point in your prayer. And so that's how prayer starts. It's very much focused on who God is. We're addressing him, our Father in heaven. And we're asking that 
that his name be hallowed, that he be honored above everything else. And then we're saying, God, I want your kingdom to come. I want your kingdom to come and I want your will to be done. That's what I want. And then we start bringing to him our request. Notice we're now at the middle verse of this prayer. And it's not until the middle verse that we even start bringing before God our own requests. And it's quite a contrast. Verse 11 just says this, Give us this day our daily bread. It's a request for God just meeting our physical needs. Should we pray about our physical needs when we pray? And the answer is, oh yes, we should. That's what we see right here. The first request that's really about us is asking God for His provision. God, give us this day our daily bread. And it seems like such a contrast from what we just read. I mean, these grandiose things like, God, I want to see your name be hallowed. Right? God, I want your kingdom to come. God, I want your will to be done. And God, can I have some bread today? Can you get me some bread? And, and that contrast, I think, is supposed to be there. Of course it's supposed to be there. Right? That, that we see this incredible contrast that we are coming before God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He will one day rule and reign over all things. That's the God we're coming to. And guess what? He cares about your physical needs. He cares whether you have milk in the refrigerator and bread on the shelf. He cares about the arthritis that you have in your joints and the sleepless nights that you endure and the stiffness in your muscles. He cares about all of that. And so we come before God with our physical needs. That's how we can come before Him. We know who He is and we worship Him for who He is and then we can come before Him with our daily physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, note that He says a couple of different times in there, this day and daily, right? One thing that makes it really hard to pray when we live in the, in the, in the time and the culture and the, the area in that we live in is we have way more than we need. So we're not forced to come before God every day and say, God, if you don't provide my daily bread, I'm not going to eat. Because we go grocery shopping every week in our house, and usually we make a couple other stops during the middle of the week. And even before we go grocery shopping, like Monday is normally the day that Kirsten goes grocery shopping. Guess what? We're not out of food yet. Our house is still stocked. I'll go home today, and we've got food in the refrigerator, food in the pantry. We don't even have enough room there, so we got some food in the basement. Our freezer's stocked with food, right? We have more than our daily bread, and that makes it really hard to come before God and to pray for our daily bread. We need to recognize this as a challenge. We come before God, and we just ask Him for what we need. Now, we know that even as we come before Him and ask Him for what we need, knows it, right? It just, verse 8 says, your heavenly Father already knows what you need even before you ask Him. So why are we even coming before? Why would we even put this request in there? Why does Jesus say, okay, He just got done saying, your heavenly Father already knows what you need before you ask Him, and then He says, as you pray, pray that God would give us this day our daily bread. Why does He say that? Um, well, I think, one, because that's what he wants us to do. As we're trying to understand it, though, I think it really is because God is our Father, and he wants us to be with him. He wants us to come before him with our needs. Say, God, this is, this is what I need today. Could, could you provide what I need today? It reminds us that everything we have comes from him. 
right? So uh, we pray. One of the reasons we pray is just because we long to be with the Father, and the Father longs to be with us. It's part of what it means to have a relationship with God. We're going to talk more about that next week. But that is uh, verse 11. Now let's look at verse 12. Verse 12, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Again, like I said, a lot of times prayer will cause us to do some heart examination. And this is one of those times where you're coming before God. And, and, and again, God, God, God did not intend that we just kind of recite this prayer without thinking through it and just, just say it over and over again. That as we get to this part of the prayer, this is kind of just the bare bones outline for prayer, that we ought to, as we come before God, ask for His forgiveness. That we ought to confess our sin. That should be a regular part of of our time in fellowship with God through prayer should be confessing sin, asking for forgiveness. Now, you might say, hold on. Why, don't you usually say, because Scripture says that once we trust in Christ, all of our sin is forgiven, past, present, and future, right? So, so why do we, as Christians, need to continually come before God confessing our sin and asking for forgiveness? The answer to that is we, we don't want to take sin lightly, we do continue to sin. All of our sin, the moment that we trust in Jesus, we are justified. We are declared righteous in God's sight. All of our sin is forgiven, past, present, and future. The moment we trust in Christ, right? But, but as we live in relationship with God, we continually come before Him recognizing that sin hinders that fellowship and that relationship that we have with Him. And so, so we want to confess to him, God, this isn't the way I ought to live in relationship to you. In light of what you have done for me, in light of your forgiveness of all of my sin, I don't want to live like this anymore. God, would you help me in this area and please forgive me? And we can be assured, based on the work of Christ on the cross for us, that we will receive his full forgiveness. Now, I'm talking about sin, but if you noticed, verse 12 in most translations says debts. Forgive us. It doesn't say forgive us our sins. It says forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Why? why does, I mean, and, and they're right. There is a word in Greek that is the word that's often translated sin, and that's not the word that Jesus uses here. He uses a much more rare word, um, and so debt is a good translation of that word. And so it is good to wonder, well, why... Why are you talking about sin when, when Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors? Um, and there could be a longer answer to that, but I think very basically there is a connection between sin and debt because what our sin does is it puts us in debt to our God. Okay, Our sin puts us in debt to our God. If you want to look at the connection between sin and debt, look at Colossians 2.14. Okay? Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. Wait, I've got to start in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, okay, so it's talking about sin, trespasses, were dead in our sin, but God makes us alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. And how does he do it? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Right? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Okay? So our debt is just encompassing everything that we 
we are indebted to God because of our sin, right? We are, we are standing under his wrath because of our sin. And what Jesus did on the cross is he, he canceled the record of debt standing against us because of our sin. So that's kind of the connection between debt and sin. Well, I think it's, it's totally acceptable to talk about debt and sin synonymously here in this passage. Okay? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Hold on. Now that part's kind of hard. Because, again, you're having to do some hard examination. You're asking God, okay, here, God, is how I've offended you. And then you start to think about, you ought to start to think about, are there people who have offended me that I haven't forgiven? This is hard. When you've been offended by somebody and it's so natural to just kind of harbor some bitterness, you've got those thoughts, you just, I don't want to forgive them. I don't want to have anything to do with them anymore. Right? And, and, and there's this bitterness that begins to grow in your heart. And so part of this prayer, this model prayer, is, is a reminder from Jesus, you need to forgive other people. Listen, you just ask for God's forgiveness. Look at how much he's forgiven you of. Ought you not also to be motivated by that to then forgive others? Right? And so that's what, that's what we're called to do here. That we ought to, motivated by God's forgiveness of us, that we forgive others. And, and by the way, if you are, if you're kind of wondering, well, when do I do that? Um, right now, if you look back just a couple verses, Matthew chapter 5, look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Jesus says this, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, okay, and we don't offer gifts at the altar, but we pray, right? That's how we're entering into God's presence. So say you're sitting there spending your time praying, and then here's what it says. And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Then leave your gift there before the altar and go. And first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You might need to put a time out in your prayer time and say, God, you know what? You're just laying this on my heart. I need to deal with this right now. Somebody's got something against me. And I'm not going to even go on praying. I'm going to go deal with that right now. Um. So we see in Matthew chapter 5 and kind of goes along with this forgiving one another as we've been forgiven. And then we have one more request, verse 13. Verse 13 is the final request. We pray for God's deliverance to be provided. This is just a request for protection. It acknowledges the danger of temptation. It's us coming before God saying, God, listen, I confess to you, I am weak and I am so prone to fall for temptation. So God, would you please help me out? Lead me in a different way. Lead, do, don't lead me into temptation. Help me out here. And then deliver us from evil. We recognize that we live in, a, in an evil world, and we even see evil within us many times. And we have to ask God, like, we can't protect ourselves. No amount of ammunition uh, will be able to protect us from the evil world around us, right? You can build yourself a bunker, get all crazy, and buy a bunch of canned goods and live in concrete and have a bunch of assault, right? Whatever you want. You're not going to be able to protect yourself from evil. And so we pray to God, asking God, God, would you deliver us from evil? You're the only hope that we have, right? Deliver us from evil. That's how the prayer ends. Now, you might say, hey, hold on. The way I memorized it when I was a kid... There was this other part, or maybe you're reading the King James Version, you're like, there's another part in mine, and you just totally skipped it, right? Maybe your version, if you have a modern translation, uh, will have a little footnote, 
And down at the bottom, it'll refer to that part that we usually put at the end of the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Maybe in your translation, you have parentheses, and that's there, whatever. Um, the reason that, that that's not included, uh, it's either in parentheses or it's just included in a footnote, um, even though it was included in the King James Version. Remember, the Bible was originally written, the New Testament, in the Greek language. Okay, and so we're translating based off of a number of manuscripts. Well, after the King James Version was translated, we found some older and more reliable manuscripts that we didn't have before, and we found that those older and more reliable manuscripts didn't include that part. So at some point, that, that part got added to what was originally included in Scripture, um, and most likely. That's what it seems, and so uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. It's not unbiblical. It often sounds actually a lot like one of David's prayers in First Chronicles 29. So if you want to end, the, actually in a little bit, we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer together. We're going to include that because a lot of you have memorized that. And you're going to probably just keep going with it anyway. And it's okay. Um, it's certainly not an unbiblical thing for, for us to say to God, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Right, again, we're not trying to just get every word of this exactly right. This is, this is a model for us to use in our prayer. It's okay, I think, to go back to really the theme of the beginning of the prayer, that God's name would be honored and his kingdom uh, would come. So we're going we're gonna to go ahead and pray that when we do it in a little bit. But I just want to end with this. This is, this is some great instruction for us on how and what to pray. And it's so simple that like a free throw, you might think, well, that's not important. I'm going to work on, like, if you remember, like, when you're in middle school, maybe you've coached, like, middle school basketball students, they get a ball, you know what they want to do right away? Shoot half-court shots, right? Because you never know, you never know, and you might get the ball, and, and the buzzer's about to go off, and you're at half-court, right? And, and we want to, but we need to just remind those middle school basketball players, hey, listen, you know what? You need to work on your free throws. Pretty sure that's going to happen in a game. And so you need to be prepared for that. As we come before God in prayer, we just need to be reminded of the basics sometimes because we get in a rut. We do, well, this is just the way I pray. But what if we let this instruction from Jesus, which is really pretty clear and really pretty simple, guide the way that we prayed? That, that maybe what you would do this week is, is you would just open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 6 and you would go with one line and you would just kind of fill it in. Use that as the outline, kind of the main heading. Our Father in heaven. And then just spend some time thanking him that you can address him as Father. God, I don't deserve to call you Father. I don't deserve to be your son. You've adopted me as yours. You've given me an inheritance. Thank you, God. And then you move on. And you say, hallowed be your name. God, there are times this week when, when I've just come before you very flippantly, and I've heard your name used in vain all around me, and I don't want that, God. Help me to be more uh, driven by who you are, by your glory. So you see what I'm saying? You can use the Lord's Prayer as a model for your own prayer time. Uh, you could spend a lot of time in prayer. There, there's, there's Christians who have gone before us that this was the way that they, almost, they prayed almost every day. Uh, Martin Luther would spend hours in prayer, and, and he would just be guided by this. He didn't just pray the Lord's Prayer over and over again for hours. He used it as a guide to his own prayer time, right? So so just encourage you to do that today. I'm so grateful that Jesus taught his disciples and teaches us how to pray and what to pray. If we don't do that, we're just going to kind of just do it our own way. That's okay. 
Um, there's times where you're not going to sit down and you're not going to open up Matthew 6 and you're not going to, you know, go through. You're just like, man, I'm just, just in this moment. I'm driving in my car and I'm just thinking about something. I'm going to bring that up. to Go ahead. Do that. That's great. But I think we need to also work on disciplining ourselves in our prayer time to pray like Jesus taught us to pray. Prayer is very basic and simple, but instruction on and reminders of the basics is always helpful. So I'm so grateful that God did this for us, that God gave us this model for prayer. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to sing a closing song here in just a moment. Uh, what I often do as I'm getting done with my sermon is, is that uh, we pray together. Um, or I pray, usually the words out loud, and you're kind of just sitting there silently praying. What I'd like to do today um, is that we just stand together, and, and we'll actually just close with the Lord's Prayer together. And I went ahead, and I know, like, well, I learned this, and I learned that. I went ahead and just used King James Version, uh, because that's the way a lot of people memorized it. So, um, so we're going to do that. It's going to be on the screen, because maybe you come from a tradition where that was memorized. Maybe you didn't. By the way, um, we're, so we don't recite that week by week here in our church. But if you're a parent of children, by all means, if Jesus gives us five short verses of teaching you how to pray, one of the things you ought to be doing as a parent is teaching your kids how to pray. And what better way to do it than to teach them, well, this is exactly what Jesus said. His disciples were wondering how to pray. That's how it, the context in Luke is the disciples were wondering how to pray. They said, teacher, teach us how to pray. And Jesus shared this. We need to be teaching our kids. that. So that's what we're going to work on during our family worship time over the next few weeks is we're just going to go through line by line the Lord's Prayer and memorize it uh, together as a family. That's what we're, whatever. If you've got kids, you need to teach it. If, if you haven't memorized it yourself, work on that. It's, it's five verses, and, and they're pretty familiar. So you've probably heard them before. It makes it easier to memorize. But memorize that so that it can guide you in your time of prayer. But uh, before we sing a closing song, we will say the Lord's Prayer together. So why don't you stand up and uh, maybe have the worship team come up so that uh, um, they can at least be up here. We'll wait for, for them to get up here and then they can uh, recite it with us as well. But let's uh, all together um, just come before God in prayer using this, this model um, that, that will help us just kind of remember how as we go to prayer privately, uh, we can structure our prayer. So let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God is great, and, uh, and He is greatly to be praised. That's how the Lord's Prayer starts, and so we're going to end the worship service by uh, just praising Him for His greatness. And so let's do that together now.